on this Feelman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. Christian McCaffrey. Uh, Dylan McCaffrey. His brother. So here's that your start your guy that's going to be the savior of Michigan that you've been that you've been praising. No, he's a okay. He's a Hummel figurine. He's not going to last. Should he have started over Shea Patterson? I want you to admit that you were wrong. You're get out of here, dude. Patterson's horrible. Shea Patterson won some games for Michigan. No, Michigan won some games for Michigan. Okay. They won the eight so games did on Shea Patterson, So you're win. telling me Dylan McCaffrey was better than Shea Patterson? Dylan McCaffrey. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Give Can't Michigan. be disproven. <laughs> Can't be disproven. That's true. Oh, unfortunately. Some yeah. of the things that you spout, I mean, a lot of smart things, but yeah. some things I just, you get, you get in your mind and you won't admit when you're wrong. No, and, I won't. For example, I mean, I enjoy the tradition of Michigan football. You know what else I enjoy? What? How can you not enjoy the tradition in Bloomington, Indiana? Yeah, I'm sure you enjoy the tradition. tradition I hate it. That's why you enjoy it. Basketball for the Indiana Hoosiers. And see, the heart that, that they play you. with, and the fans that they play. Yeah, see, and, I, I but root, that's just the truth. That's I root truth. for your teams. I was rooting <laughs> ardently for the Minnesota Vikings on Saturday. So was I. It's and uh, yeah, tired. you and I both had tough tired. Saturdays. Good morning, everybody. It's a Monday edition of the Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. Yeah, tough Saturdays for uh, both uh, number thirty-six and yeah. myself with the Buckeyes going down at Indiana. Uh, I will say this in defense of your Vikings. Uh, they played a really good team. Uh, my squad, the Ohio State <laughs> basketball team, did not play a really good team. They played a team that tried to give it back to them the entire game, and then the Buckeyes just wouldn't take it. So we'll yeah. eventually get into that. We'll get into the Vikings. But we have to start with Kevin Stefanski, named head coach of my Cleveland Browns. Should I be happy about it? Because it feels to me like... Mike McCarthy was a better choice. I told you, I, Mike McCarthy I was the number one choice. Yeah, and I really didn't want Josh McDaniels. I wanted Robert Sala before I wanted Kevin Stefanski. And tell me why I shouldn't put too much emphasis on the fact that Robert Sala's defense held Kevin Stefanski's offense to 147 yards on Saturday. So I, well, I, I mean, I, I don't think you judge a a. a uh, coached by one performance. I mean, you look at the, the production of Minnesota offense, I think was ranked fourth all year within the league. Yep. So uh, I think there's some reason to be optimistic. I think the fact that Nick Chubb will be heavily involved in the offensive game plan is another reason to be optimistic. I also yep. think that Pat Shermer probably won't come, but if he brings uh, Kubiak... So the offense that you see with the Minnesota Vikings and the offense that you see with the San Francisco 49ers. Mm-hmm. Kubiak's son, not Gary not, Kubiak. Right. Kubiak. Well, it's the same offense. So yeah. they're all trained the yeah. same. They all believe yeah. the same. So that's a reason to be optimistic. Which and would so, be a Denver Broncos offense from their Super Bowl era. Yeah. Terrell well, Davis running it's, a ball. It's what you yeah. saw Saturday. You saw one team do it very well and another team that stunk. So, I mean, it's Man. it's not that, that difficult to figure out. So... I think for from that standpoint, you ought to be excited. You have to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Kevin Stefanski inter- interviewed for the Browns job twice previously. 
twice previously yeah, or this that, time this I the thought, second time? I, I thought it was two times already. So I thought it was once uh, okay. last year. Maybe maybe he hasn't been around that long. He's only thirty seven. He's fourteen years in. Maybe he interviewed for like Ball Boy when he was twenty five. I I don't. Well, whatever. The point is, he did very well. Paul D. Podesta. But D. Podesta. D. Podesta wanted him last time around with Freddie Kitchens. He didn't get the job. Yeah. John Dorsey won that. John Dorsey's out. So D. Podesta gets his guy in Kevin Stefanski. I I really like Kevin. I don't think he has an ego. That's something you'll like. He's well spoken. I think he's a smart guy. Yeah. And uh, for, from my perspective, I, I do think that it's a safe hire, and I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I think we all should give him the benefit of the doubt if you follow the Cleveland Browns. Now they have to get a general manager in place. Once they get the general manager in place and they're on the same page, as we talk about constantly mm-hmm. on this show, that there's got to be a, a great working relationship and an understanding of roles and once those roles are there, we'll go with it. Okay, that's where it could go off the rails because uh, it always seems the Browns have uh, drama, right? We've talked about that. There's always drama with the Cleveland Browns. Well, he's about as less dramatic guy as you're going to find. Now he's finding out, if he hasn't already, that once you align with the Cleveland Browns, you don't have to bring drama. The drama finds you. Steve Dorshuk, who you know, right? Yeah. Steve Dorshuk. Can't repository. Can't repository. Very good, accomplished Browns reporter. Uh, writes yesterday that Josh McDaniels, who it's reasonable to assume would be a guy Steve Dorshuk knows and have a relationship sure. with because Josh is from Canton. Canton, Stark County guy, right? Yep. Okay, so Dorshuk writes that Josh McDaniels came in and said, here's the problem with your organization. This is what needs to change. And the Browns were like, eh, eh, not totally comfortable with that. Right. And that Kevin Stefanski said, uh, here's what I'm willing to do. I'm willing to come in, and I'm willing to work with D- Paul D. Podesta, and I embrace the analytics, and I'm willing to sit down on Fridays and <laughs> show my game plan <laughs> to – the owner and and sit on Mondays and have long you know meetings post game meetings going over why this why that why mm-hmm. not this why not that with the owner. Um, so I got to ask you because I promised people I would on Twitter. Does that happen in the NFL? Not everywhere, but is that not something that seems strange to you no. as a Fox NFL analyst? No, not at all. I think that's. Something now it, it doesn't mean that everybody sits down and might have one person represent the the whole football team. I, I know, for example, that uh, Rick communicates with the owners on a regular basis, mm-hmm. and but Rick and Zim have a working relationship, so Rick will handle dealing with the owners, and Zim handles okay, I'm getting ready for the, the game, next game yeah. plan, and so. I don't think that's a problem. I don't think it's a problem. If I'm the owner, I would have no problem, and I would, in fact, be like Jimmy Haslam on a Friday. I would say, okay, what's the overall game plan? I don't think you need to get into the nuts and bolts. They do this, we do this. Mm -hmm. uh, They do that, we do that. Analytics is part of every team's game plan, and analytical plan going into the game is part of every team's game plan. For example, they're not allowed to use real-time analytics. On my Fox Sports broadcast, we were the first crew to implement what's called Edge Sports, EDJ Sports. It gives you real-time updates of percentages 
on if you convert this fourth down, your chances of winning go up this oh, amount. Okay. If you don't convert it, they go down this amount. The NFL, you're not allowed to use the real-time percentages. So what they do is each week there's a giant book of different scenarios okay. that a guy sits up in the booth with, and they have a plan for every situation, an analytical plan. What do the analytics say on every particular decision made in a football game? So uh, I think that is part of everybody's game plan. There's a designated person that is in charge of that that has the percentages ready to go when the head coach calls for that and there's a book in front of them that they run those numbers every single week to have new numbers so that when the opportunity presents itself mm -hmm. that guy knows where to go into that book and give the coach the best analytical answer that he can give so nothing that you've read is completely off norm i think it's a little hyperbole how it's being reported uh, for example for me it depends on the owner. Do you think Jerry Jones knows what the game plan is? Yes. Going in? So I, I think I think the Wolf brothers actually know. I, in Minnesota. Uh, yeah. I, I think they have a general idea mm -hmm. of this is what this team does well. This is how we're going to try to attack it. This is where they struggle. This is where we're going to try to exploit it. Then I think it's every owner's right, and I probably, to some extent, this is either done on a weekly basis. I'm sure it's done on a weekly basis with a lot of teams or a monthly basis or a quarterly basis throughout the season of any overall evaluation of where we are, who's doing well, because I know that every player is written up after every single game and evaluated. Mm -hmm. And there's probably some type of report written and or verbal that is given to the owners if the owner do, does request such report. So I don't think that's any issue at all. In fact, I, I, I find it somewhat encouraging. Now, what I would have a problem with if the owner says, I want this run, I want that run, yeah. I want to do this. Because that's my thing with a Friday meeting is what are you going to do? Call the guys, hey, come on back in, like Wednesday and Thursday. Forget that stuff. The owner has a better idea. The analytics guy has a better I idea. Don't, I don't – I think it all can play in, in and work toward the same goal, okay. Bruce. The analytics are part of it. A coach makes a decision – and I've asked Coach about, okay, where do analytics and where do instincts uh, intercede? And the whole game, and it's what you feel. And it depends on the game, the feel of the game. If you're, for example, running a ball down some team's throat, your chances, the analytics say, maybe don't go forward on fourth and one in mm -hmm. this situation. But your instincts telling you they haven't stopped it yet. Right. What makes us think they're going to stop right. it now? So there's, there's a room for both. And, and so I, I don't think – I think you're going to the extreme example of saying... Well, I mean, I've been scarred by the past. Well, I, 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 I get that, but I, I I do think that, you know, analytics is a very important part of the game. Uh, you There's analytics on individual players. I'm not anti-analytics. I'm anti-too many cooks in the kitchen. That's what I'm anti. Well, I, I'm sure that it would be this. Okay, thank you for the presentation of the game plan. We have our analytics guy ready to go if you have a question during mm -hmm. a game, if you want to decide. I think it's it's organization. I think it's everybody working together as one and using all the information at your disposal that you can use to call the best possible game. I don't think he's going to sit there and be on the headsets and Jimmy's going to Jimmy's going to sit there on a Friday afternoon. I, I There's no way this happens or no coach that I know would work with this. 
that he presents it like a book report to the teacher. The teacher breaks out the red pen, and the red pen starts Xing things out. Yeah. That's not going to happen. Let's so, hope not. Well, because if it were ever going to happen, it would happen in Cleveland. Yes. All right. You think yes. you think Jimmy Haslam would do that? Yes. Or do you think? I, I mean, it might happen. In, uh, it might know. happen with this Jerry Jones. Franchise, this is the franchise that was seven and three and in first well, place I mean, in the AFC North when the general manager was I, I texting a, the sidelines saying, "Change quarterbacks." I got I got put a, the rookie in. I got a feeling that you're not taking this conversation seriously. No, I am taking it seriously. I'm just saying that there are. The past events have made me skeptical of the people who are in charge having any involvement at all. You're asking me, would I feel better about a scenario where the owner is, and I'm presuming here, not involved, like a Bob Kraft, leaving it to his football people, or would I, would I because of this owner, all owners are different, but I know this owner, would I prefer a scenario where this owner is involved? I would prefer a scenario where this owner is not involved. I've told you before, my ideal scenario for the Browns is that they hire your brother Rick Spielman as team president, let him hire a GM, let him hire a coach, and Jimmy Haslam and his lovely wife Dee would go back to Knoxville, Tennessee, and four years later they would come back and check in and see, how we doing? That would be my ideal scenario. Can you... Envision, can you live with the fact, and this is how I choose to see how this is going to happen, and I may may be wrong. I don't understand the issue that you have if an owner wants a game plan. What's our, and and we can define game plan many different ways. Yeah, sure. You know, he's he's not going to. I think it's a philosophy. I want Nick Chubb to run the ball. Yeah. I want Nick Chubb to run the ball. And I don't want Nick Chubb to get 13 carries against the Bengals. Then there's no, I don't think there's anything wrong with accountability after a game on a Monday. Nor do I. No, whether that's via the general manager, whether that's Kevin Stefanski, whether that's a defense coordinator. I don't know the rules that they have set up. Okay, if I'm the owner, I want to sit down with the coach, watch the film. Now, I know a little bit more about football than I th- than most owners. Yes. I think I do. And I would ask a certain questions. Well, why did this happen? And what are we going to do to make sure it doesn't happen again? Why are we struggling? I think you can have a meeting like that, and it can be productive in one sense. And the, and the sense that it can be productive with this owner. I'm going to confine my comments to the Haslams and the Browns. I don't know the Haslams like okay, you do. But I'm just so. saying, because okay. of we have, a, we have a track record with them. Okay, So that's why I'm giving you this evaluation. Okay. The productive nature of that kind of a meeting after a game is so Jimmy Haslam can understand on a week-by-week basis the logic and the thinking behind what Kevin Stefanski did and why he did it. Right. That has... You like that. That has productive value. Okay. So you would be for that. I would be. What I don't want is I don't want that meeting to devolve into any second-guessing or input from Jimmy Haslam along the lines of, well, you should have done, or next time do, because he's not a coach. And I think that would be very hard for any coach in the National Football League to take and maintain their enthusiasm for doing their job. I do not think that that will be the case. I okay. I really don't think that would. Now, I, I could be wrong. Um, I heard that Josh McDaniels wanted, like you said, 
wanted to do things the New England way, and he wasn't excited about some of the questions that Jimmy had. And an owner, I know you'll agree with me, certainly has the right absolutely to run the team how he wants absolutely. to run the team. I've never had a quarrel with the Has- Haslam's making a change. They pay the bills. They own the team. I, right. I understand the hierarchy. And so, so let's just see how it plays out. Yeah. I mean, because I do think – you know how things get escalated a little bit. I sit down on a Friday afternoon. Hey, what do you got for me this week? Tell me about uh, tell me about the Arizona Cardinals. How are you going to handle Chandler Jones? And Jimmy might read in a report that Chandler Jones uh, was up for Defensive Player of the Year, and he's a tremendous pass rusher, and he's very long. What do we do to stop him? Is there anything we're going to do in particular to handle Chandler Jones? What about when we play Kyler Murray? Are we going to have a spy on him? And I, as a coach, I have to be prepared mm-hmm. to give an answer and give a reason for why I'm doing what I'm doing. And there's absolutely, in my opinion, nothing wrong with that. Just like, you know, I, 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 it drives me crazy because I almost feel like people aren't paying attention. I mean, the, the beat writers who I know for the Browns and have respect for, I really do, they keep reporting the same thing about this big analytics, big analytics. And it's such a big deal that there's an analytics meeting on Friday. There's an analytics meeting every single week in every NFL team. It's not anything new. I don't understand why we keep saying it's new. It's not new. No, it's Stop not Stop reporting it's new. No. Every team has done it for the last 15 years. Sashi Brown didn't invent analytics in the football. It's insane. Yeah, I think the skepticism of Browns fans, as you understand, is rooted in their dysfunction and the failures of the past. And so when Kevin Stefanski's hired, I think people could be on board with that. The warning sign comes. Why do we keep reporting the same crap when it's it's so frustrating? I I know. I understand. Bill Belichick was in on the front line of analytics a long time ago. He doesn't call it that because... We we had it when I when I mean when every game plan that I had I had percentages yeah. broken down on what they like to do in these situations. Sure. That's why and you do so cut the ups defensive coordinator yeah. would sit there and say on these certain situations we're running these plays. Analytics is kind of another word, a, a fancy word for tendencies. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it is. And yeah. the, the the other thing is, I think it just gets a little bit. Where, where it's ta- taken to a second level is percentages of winning the game, okay? You look at it from – and if if you convert this fourth – and it, that percentage fluctuates depending sure on making a play don't. or not making right. a play, right? Exactly. And, and so that helps the coach make a decision uh, on whether to go for it on two on a certain situation, fourth and one, to go for it there – if you punt it inside the 20 as opposed to them getting the ball back to the mm-hmm. to the 20, if you get it inside the 5, it fluctuates 2 or 3 or 4 or 5 percentage points. I sat there and watched this happen real time on our broadcast. So those little things will help a coach make a decision. And then you, good coaches, are able to take both sets of information, your instinct, yep. how the game flow is going, the matchup that you may or may not like on the field, and the numbers – then make your best decision for the team to move forward. The here's the best analytics of it all with Kevin Stefanski. If I do, if he does what I think he's going to do, everybody should be happy because Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are going to be a vicious, awesome in the best way one-two punch 
that can there can be in the NFL. Both of them are that talented. So get excited about that. Don't worry about who's meeting with who and when they're meeting. Nobody cares. Uh, I gotta. I got to wonder, since you've spent time with Kevin Stefanski, but I know there's no way you can possibly know all the people he knows. The one thing that it gives me pause is, more than the meetings, is that it looks like they're going to bring Andrew Barry back from the Philadelphia Eagles to be the GM. That's one of the things that um, they're talking about doing. And Andrew Barry is the uh, VP of football ops with the Eagles, right. which is not a GM position. Um, he has been there one year. And, I don't know, it feels like the thing they said they weren't going to do, which is an arranged marriage. Now, obviously, Kevin Stefanski will have input on it. Do you know if Stefanski and Barry have a relationship? Or do do you know if Kevin Stefanski has a personnel guy? Is there somebody in, I don't know, Minnesota? He's been in the league 14 years. The guy that he could bring is the assistant GM who's been with Rick forever. Uh, I know that Rick thinks very highly of him. He's been up for GM jobs every single year. A guy by the name of George Payton. Okay. So that's a guy that could come, and I don't know what George's situation is. Uh, George has to go for the right job. I don't know if Kevin uh, pushed for George. I have no idea. I think this is George's or Kevin's first head coaching job. Uh, he might be willing to uh, cave as opposed to maybe a guy like Mike McCarthy. Yeah. He wants to do things a certain way sure. and has a track record that says he should be allowed to do things mm-hmm. a certain way. So I don't know. George Payton would be a guy that I'd keep an, uh, another eye on. I don't know Andrew Barry. I know that Howie Roseman has done a pretty good job in Philadelphia. I think they have to get younger in Philly, and I think they will. But just because a guy hasn't done a job doesn't mean he's not going to be very good at doing that job. So I, 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 I don't have an educated uh information-based evaluation on Andrew Barry. Give me a scouting report on the Kevin Stefanski I'm going to see at the podium today. Like, what kind of a guy is he? Is he an electric personality? No. Is he a, he's a calm guy? Is yeah. he like Pat Shermer? Is he, you know... No, he's, he's like, he looks like on TV, just straight across the board. There's okay. no roller coaster rides. There's nothing. It's all business. Very smart guy. Well-respected. I think... Um, you know, uh, one thing you can say about Kevin, he was given the, the reins of Minnesota offense when they fired uh, De Filippo yeah. last year. I think he did a very good job of toward the end of the year readjusting that offense. He was given the position, uh, actually embraced bringing in Gary Kubiak as assistant head coach and Rick Dennison, the offensive line to embrace that type of offense, so he's been exposed to different types of offense. I know he wants to be physical with the football. I know he's a big believer in the play-action stuff, which will help Baker and which will get Kareem involved. And, you know, what we might see is if this team becomes a running football team, you might see more moaning and complaining from Jarvis Landry and OBJ. And so I don't know how he's going to manage. That was my next question. What kind of personality does he have to handle the big personalities? Because he's got three big ones. He's got OBJ, Landry, and Baker. He's he's not been in charge of handling Diggs when Diggs threw his little hissy fit. He's not been in that Zimmer deal. That's the head coach's deal. I know that uh, he doesn't get rattled, you know, and I know that he's probably going to make good decisions. I know that just from talking to him, 
I can give you a pretty good guess that he's not going to make emotional decisions. He's going to make educated, calculated, uh, information-based decisions. So that's what I want. I don't want a guy that, you know, my, I, you know, I got a lot of shirts my kids give me that uh, I won't wear in public. Oh, one of them says? Uh, I'd flex, but I like this shirt. Yes, because you don't want to rip it apart. Yes, that's correct. Yes. So Stefanski will not be wearing a Pittsburgh started at T-shirt. I just don't. I I just think that you know Kevin, you know you're not going to get a lot of out of him. So okay. he's probably so he's not, not electric. The, he's not your dream. Not a quote machine. He's not your dream guy as a newspaper guy, or you know he's not going to win the press conference. I mean Joe Judge for the Giants won the press conference, yes, he did. and guess what? Winning a press conference has never translated into winning one single game. Nothing like this from Stefanski. Oh, sorry. Twitter. There you go. One if more you time. want details, you're gonna have to find it on Twitter. Might, Nothing like that. It might give you that. How about something like how about something like this. Pull it up on your little computer, or Facebook, or whatever Twitter or whatever you do. Yeah, I'll pull it up. <laughs> Nothing. You too might. Exciting. I don't know. No, okay. because I think he's he's a very thoughtful guy. Okay. You know, I, I, Pat was a thoughtful guy. What do you want? I mean, I don't want I, Pat. What? What do uh, you? Stefanski, go find me some brilliant young guy. I don't want Pat. What do you want? I mean, I mean, I'm, like I'm, I, I get the feeling that no matter who you hire, you can't base hiring a guy, first of all, on one game. And I think Robert Sala, Robert, could will make a great head coach one day. Uh, I think Stefanski. Uh, maybe fits because of what the type of offense that and the type of personnel that this team has. Maybe because Kevin's been a quarterback coach and worked with some big mm-hmm. names and egos over the years. Maybe that was the best fit for Baker Mayfield. So there's a lot of things to consider when you hire. It's not just, you know, you're going to get good quotes. Right. Which I, you're, agree, I agree. I well, I, I know. But it's, it's, it's just, no, I'm skeptical because here's what it feels but like. But you, when you're skeptical, I feel like you're not listening to what I'm saying. Well, you're I'm definitely just, listening. You're I just kind of blowing, glossing through it. Like, no, you know, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll say this. Just because I don't agree doesn't mean I don't hear you. Or I, right. I'm not even saying I don't agree. I agree with you in principle. I, this is my, uh, this is not the thinking side of my brain. This is the reactional side of my brain. I'm predisposed because I wanted Mike McCarthy. and So did be- I. And because I wanted um, a dynamic personality to handle the dynamic personalities that they have. Well, Mike McCarthy doesn't have a dynamic but he personality. Has, but he has cred. I think if Mike McCarthy walks in the room with a Super Bowl ring, that gives him some credibility, and he has Aaron Rodgers, you know, Working with Aaron Rodgers and stuff like that. Well, guess who so, won that battle? I know, but here's here's what this. <laughs> as as I look back on this search, here's what it feels like. We talked to eight guys. We did a comprehensive search. The guy the owner wanted, Josh McDaniels, didn't want them. And so the guy he didn't we, want them. Why? Because he was not going to be able to run the organization the way he wanted to run the organization. Josh wanted to run everything. Yeah. And he's and Haslam said we don't do that here. Well, they're, That's not they they the have right a fit. definite idea how they're going to do it, and it didn't dovetail with Josh McDaniels, and so they weren't a fit. Okay? Right, not a fit. So the guy the owner wanted was not a fit. So I give the owner credit for saying, okay, this is not going to work. So or Josh McDaniels for walking away. I don't know who said no first, but at any point, the guy the owner wanted, they couldn't get. Okay, the guy Deep Podesta wanted last year is the guy they got. Kevin Stefanski, yes. And so Mike McCarthy, Robert Sala, 
Urban Meyer, anybody else, while they might have been considered, while they might have been interviewed, they really didn't have a shot. It, it basically, the search looks like... Brian Dabble out of Buffalo. Yeah, it looks like... Jim Schwartz. We're going to do a search, but if we don't get Josh McDaniels, we're going to go with Stefanski. That's, I, I'm not saying that's how it happened. I'm just saying that's an appearance that yeah. I'm fighting. How, how much were you open to being wowed? Like, say, right. instance, the Steelers were wowed by Mike Tomlin. The Steelers had, like, two guys on staff. I think they had uh, Mike Munchak and was Ron Rivera there or there's somebody else sure. there. They had guys there, and they interviewed Tomlin, and they're like, whoa, this guy, wow. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if the Browns were really and truly open to being wowed. I I think they were really and truly open. I think they have a formula that they weren't going to compromise, that they feel is the best way for their organization to run. We just need the right people to implement the formula. There's, In other words, there's nothing wrong with the formula that we have. What is wrong and what they determined was wrong was the people that we had running running the formula, John Dorsey and Freddie Kitchens. Freddie, yeah. It just wasn't a fit for those two guys. Right. Now, you need two guys that are buying in. Maybe Kevin, buy, oh, this is how I would do it if I were in charge. Great. Maybe that's the, you know, that was the fit. The other thing that is a fit is that, you know, you see Matt LaFleur. Right, Matt Lafleur is mm-hmm. taking the Green Bay Packers mm-hmm. to the NFC Championship game. Now he has a quarterback that is playing. Some of the throws he made on third down last night were unbelievable. Fade away across the middle. The next to last one to Devontae. Yeah, Adams and that one too on third and nine time. or whatever you, you know game. That was more, in my opinion, a great catch by Jimmy Graham than it was a great throw. Well, I'm talking about the one Geronimo Allison caught. Honestly, also. I, I gave up on that game okay. when it was 21 nothing, and then I flipped it back on after we got yeah. done watching a movie as a family, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, the Seahawks yeah. get the ball back well, here with two minutes to go. You're never out of it with Russell Wilson, nope. but it's interesting the quarterbacks that are, are leading their teams, and we'll get into those games in a minute here. But, look, I, I, I want the Browns fans. There's reason for optimism because I finally think they got this right. Okay, good. Everybody – no, only in this sense. I, I don't know if they got it right because I'm a guy that's not going to make that good or bad evaluation until I see either marked improvement. I want to see if there's drama still or if people are still, you know, every, if Jarvis and OBJ start complaining about not getting the ball because Nick Chubb is getting uh, 22 carries and Kareem Hunt's getting 15 carries in a game, but they're winning games. Yeah. I want to see how long that lasts. You know, they're going to pull a digs and come off the field and throw their helmet or do their own thing or say their own thing. Is Baker going to be able to rein it in finally and finally hit that level of maturity where he doesn't always have to get in a fight, even if somebody's picking on him? Just walk away yeah. and let your record speak for itself. That's the evaluation that I'm going to give Kevin Stefanski. Here's what they got right, that for the first time, I think, in the Jimmy Haslam era, that everybody – is on the same page because we know that Hugh Jackson and Sashi Brown were not on the same page. Right. It was it was it was it was like walking in up the, it was like walking up there and it, it was like two separate ends of the world. I mean nobody it I didn't see anybody engage and I've only done two games I think up there. It just didn't feel right. This is where I think everybody is at least philosophically we're all the same. 
Let's go get it. So that's where they got it right. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to be I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, there'll be signs along the way that'll give me an idea of whether they're on the right track. I mean, they have to address the offensive line in personnel, so that'll give me an evaluation of personnel is how they use their draft picks and what they do, whether they do trades, whether they do signings. If you're going to run the ball with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, you have to get a better offensive line than they had. They have to firm up the tackle positions. That's probably a likely spot in the draft. And then there'll be drama. If, if there's drama in camp, that'll be a warning sign. You know, how will they handle it? Will Baker Mayfield be a guy who continues to well, punch even down? Even in OTAs or in the offseason, how are they going to handle it? Yeah, will OBJ be there? All that stuff. Yeah. So there'll be preliminary evaluations along the way. In terms of game day coaching, I mean, that's a, to me, that's a six-game well, evaluation. It's like six or a seven-game. Mm-hmm. you got to give him a chance to see how he reacts Where, in certain situations and stuff like that. I I think the run blocking isn't that. Where did Nick Chubb end up, Bruce, in the rushing well, second title? because they carried he carried it thirteen okay, times so against the Bengals. It's got to be you know Nick Chubb can be he can be your hammer. running he second. Can be your I mean Henry. I mean that's really impressive. And Kareem Hunt is a really good back, Bruce. I mean that's as good as a I think one, he led the NFL in rushing. That's sure. that's a one-two combination. Yes. That you're not going to find at a lot of places. Now take all the drama out and imagine if these guys can get put this away. I I don't know what Njoku's thing is. I have no idea. But with if OBJ and Jarvis Landry and David Njoku and uh, who, who's their uh, three receiver? Here? Is it Rashard Higgins? Higgins? Yeah, they got Ricky Seals Jones. Oh, I, I mean, mean, they got guys. They they're they're in. If they can just everybody. Kill the egos. Yes. Just stop the ego Agreed. BS. Stop it. Just please look at what the 49ers, look at the Kansas City Chiefs. Look at the teams that are in the NFC Championship game. Look at the Tennessee Titans. How many egos are involved in that game? None. Even many. the Packers. Yeah. You know, the the, the Packers, look at Aaron Jones. I mean, the, the, the and, you know, Aaron Rodgers, I just want to say this. Here's why Aaron Rodgers is great. He is one of the few, and Tom Brady used to be able to do it. I, unfortunately, Father Time's undefeated. He wasn't able to do it this year. Is able to elevate average guys and make them really good. And and Aaron Rodgers has been doing that a lot of years. You take Aaron Rodgers off that Packers team, that's a nine and seven team at best. Maybe, yeah, yeah. maybe. So, My opinion. We'll so. get we'll get into the divisional playoffs here. First, a reminder, Stover Farms Custom Meats, the place to get the best steaks. Uh, also, pork, chicken, and, oh, man, they'll give you a great deal when you tell them you're a Spielman and Hooli listener, a free pound of hamburger for every pound you buy, or maybe a special discount off uh, steaks. And friends of mine uh, frequent Stover Farms Custom lo- uh, location. 4,000 Presidential Parkway in Powell. And uh, when I had a friend yesterday at church say, hey, you know, Alex Stover closed their retail location. No, that's their the retail location in Mansfield, not their one in Columbus. That one's still going. And uh, they just simplified their operation, and they really, you know, want to devote themselves more to the Columbus market. Because, you know, with their son Trevor, now uh, their son uh, Cade now playing for the Buckeyes, it just makes more sense. Uh, Mr. Football uh, a year two years ago, and a linebacker defensive end to keep your eye on. Stover Farms Custom Meets, 4000 Presidential Parkway. In Powell online, StoverFarmsCustomMeats.com. Um, let's go quickly to a, uh, an email because it uh, involves the Browns, and then we'll get uh, into the divisional round. Dan says, uh, I have a question for you, Bruce. Your opinion as to uh, calling out 
media members calling out other media members, especially in a local market where they're friends. One of the Cleveland media members, Tony Grossi, published some fake news about the Browns interviewing the Toronto Argonauts head coach, Ryan Dinwiddie, as head coach. It was a fellow fan spoofing him, but he ran with it. Uh, it's not a big deal, but why didn't anyone in the media even reference it? Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I you, You'll have to handle this one. Yeah. I, I do think this. I'll, I'll throw my two cents in um i've learned about media from being in it kind of on the outside of it not like you who were who's living involved uh sources but i would assume if somebody gave you a call and saying that the head coach of the toronto argonauts is going to interview for the job and the way I this think came you up would be skeptical a fan somebody texted tony i saw uh, here's what i'll i'll say this i don't know i haven't talked to tony about it here's what i know from afar I saw a thread on Twitter of a fan alleging that he was the one who reached out to Grossi, and he had screenshotted a text message exchange where he fed Tony this bogus rumor that they were going to interview Ryan Dinwiddie. And Tony's text back was, who is this? And the guy responded with something about Ryan Dinwiddie, and then Tony threw Dinwiddie's name into it. He didn't write a story about it, but he threw his name in it. They may talk to or expected to talk to or something like that. Okay, so that's a big mistake, uh, and I can I can assure you nobody feels worse about it than Tony. Uh, I don't know if Tony had a second source. I don't know that. But as to Dan's question as to why other media members didn't call somebody out uh, on that, it would, uh, in my opinion, be related to the fact that people who know Tony and know his track record know what I just said, that he feels horrible, that he would feel horrible about it, and so they want to cut him Why away. are you not held to the same standard as coaches okay, what, what, what and what would you prefer? What would you prefer to see happen? How would you see that? I don't know. I'm saying he made a mistake. What, do you, what else do you want me to say? That he should be fired or that he should be – he made a bad mistake. He's not doing his job. In that instance, he didn't. You know, so – He didn't verify it. It's just, it's just That's why interesting. I always say now it's. I think the, I think the email is this. I I, I I'm going to agree with you, but I yeah. think I'm going to speak. Try to speak for the emailer. Yep. I think he's frustrated that the media can sit here and point out that this guy sucks, this guy stinks, this guy's awful, this guy's a bum, this guy's a joke. Players, you mean. yeah, or GMs or, or, or GMs or coaches or owners, yeah. And he makes a a foolish. I think it's a foolish mistake. Yep. I don't know where you fall on that. I think it's a foolish mistake. If it happened the way that in the interest, it's been reported, it was a big mistake. In the interest of trying to be first, which I, I don't think is that important still. It's not uh, important to me anymore, no. It's not important anymore to be first. Uh, in the interest of trying to be first and trying to get this quote-unquote scoop, which is I know a valuable asset or a valuable trophy for you guys, uh, I think that that's why he's frustrated because these guys sit here and point out everybody else's mistakes on a constant basis, and he makes a mistake. Nobody else in the media points out the mistakes. How I mean, how often do we see mistakes made in uh, the mainstream media or any media nowadays, and they get covered up or they keep making them? There's no accountability, I think, is what he's saying for people who call people out. Now, if Tony would come out and say, uh, did Tony come out and say, I'm an I idiot, I was dumb, that was stupid, I made a mistake, I'm going to move forward and be better from it. Yeah, I, don't I think know that. that would be better if Tony would do that. I know that when I make mistakes 
or if I hear something and say something and it's not true, or if I make a bad analytical point on the broadcast, there's three times I said I was wrong this year uh, on a broadcast. I think people respect the fact that I you agree. come out and say that you're wrong, but just to cover it up or not say anything, I, I don't. I think that's where his frustration is. I agree. I can understand that frustration. And again, I probably should have called Tony to find out, okay, exactly what did happen here. Uh, and I did not do that. But I will say that if it happened the way that it's being portrayed here in Dan's email, that somebody texted him and Tony ran with it without verifying it, that is a big mistake. I know Tony would feel terrible about it. That, but but there, why would a guy that's in the business 50, 40 years... I don't know. Make I can't that, answer for him. Make it's, that mistake because because of pressure to get that, it right. Yeah, uh, I guess. I mean, to, to stay me, relevant. I want to clarify. Know. I said it's not important to be first to me anymore. It is important to be first. It's not more important than being right. Okay, that's yeah. It's not more, being right is way more important than being first. And back in the old days, when you had uh, the only form of communication was newspaper or TV news, being first had some legs because it gave you like a couple hour victory. Now, if you're first with something, it gives you like a 10 second victory. Yeah. Nobody cares. The next guy's got it on Twitter. Nobody and, cares. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you're it first because that person may or may not follow you. Yeah. And so they might follow, for example, uh, just to use two Browns people, right? That uh, maybe they don't follow Tony and maybe they f follow Mary Kay. Right. Instead. Then Mary Kay hears about it, and she reports. I'm not saying this particular story, any story. She reports it, and Mary Kay says, well, uh, in my mind, Mary Kay got that story, not Tony Grossi. Uh, but what I am noticing on Twitter, because I follow all the NFL writers, mm -hmm. like uh, Adam Schefter or Ian Rappaport or wh whatever, they'll give that guy credit. First reported if, by, yeah. Yeah, or... Yeah, if, as as first or initially reported by Ian Rappaport, Schefter will then go into the story. So yeah. at least they give each other credit. Yeah, so that's the best thing I can tell you is, Dan, generally, if there, there are media members in every market who have people's respect within the industry, there are some who do not, there are some who guess, there are some who, like, play the odds, and, well, it looks like they're going to hire this guy, so I'm going to report they are hiring him, and that quickly finds you out wow. a mistake like this is a big if it happened the way it's being reported it's a big mistake by tony i'm sure he feels terrible about it but i would say your question is why aren't people calling him out it's because they've looked at the body of his work and found that he is not somebody who's prone to these kinds of mistakes which makes it as if you're tony or if i would do something like that all the more like man why what the heck well I, i'm sure that uh, the followers or people that listen to Tony Grossi have held him more than accountable. Oh yeah, for, I'm sure they have <laughs> for that mistake. I'm sure so. they have. But that—that's uh, the difference. I, I do think, you know, we as a society, we're so much w more well informed than we were, say, 15 or 20 years ago. That there is an accountability by the readers to the journalists. Not necessarily yes. the journalist to the journalist. Well, and but journalists now, it's like you see you see Tony on TV, you hear Tony on the radio. You people now, the platforms of media people are a lot more well known. Back in the day, I was like two words on a page. I was Bruce Hooley, no picture, no anything. Yeah. Nobody knew who you know. Well, you had an anonymity then. You don't have an anonymity. Good for now. you. You got out at the right, right time and made a nice career in the broadcast world. Yes. All right. Uh, divisional round. 
uh, we've talked about the Vikings. I just was stunned. I wasn't. How? Uh, here's what I was stunned with. I just the Niners just ran it and ran it and ran it and ran it, and I was just like, what? It's like five and six yards, like virtually every time. So like, I we was, stopped the run. It, it looked like, and I texted a friend this because, of course, I was getting they're getting destroyed, you know, from the yeah <laughs> sympathetic crowd that I hang out with, and and I said, you're right. It looks like the Vikings front seven has Velcro on their jerseys. There was nobody getting off blocks, and they looked tired. It was a defeated team in the first half because when you, and I've been on both sides of this and I was thinking about this driving out here this morning actually I I was thinking about games where a team was running the football and there was like seemingly nothing that we could do to stop them then I've been on in games where there's nothing this offense can do that can stop our defense and that that's the NFL and look San Francisco Whatever they did to get ready for the game, they did it right. I do think it goes to show the importance of, and I think it was Collinsworth that made a great point about this, and the importance of the bye week mm -hmm. leading into the um, uh, playoffs, because Minnesota looked tired to me. They yeah, looked like turnaround. They played Sunday. Yeah, they got, but I'm not making excuses. No, but they it's just a tough they looked fly across the country. Tired. Yeah. And it looked like, you know, Cousins, I don't know if he was I, – I, I didn't see the game film, so I don't know if he was missing guys, but everything was a check down. I don't uh, – Diggs and Thielen looked like they couldn't create any separation. Irv Smith and Rudolph couldn't create any separation. Dalvin Cook couldn't get to the second level. Uh, the defensive line of the 49ers is as good as advertised. They have five first-round picks, so they roll guys in and out of there. In addition to their five first-round picks, they have a, a middle linebacker that nobody talks about that is one of the best in the league by the name of Fred Warner, number 54. If you watch him, I've watched him for two years now and watched him grow, and he's as good as they, they, they come. You have Richard Sherman, who is one of the smartest football players that I either played with or sat down and talked to. Uh, he he's a he's a four seven corner, but he's so smart that he plays at a four three, and because of his length also. Mm -hmm. So there, Jaquaski Tart has come up, and is is Jimmy Ward. All these guys are really, really good players in an offensive line, in a tight end that is just um, the best threat in football catching the balls at tight end. I mean, Travis Kelsey can make an argument after yet last night, but. I think if you do a survey, uh, George Kittle would be a guy that teams would say that he, he's a nightmare matchup. But you watch him block the other night. I mean, he finishes and finishes and finishes, and he is just nasty. Then three running backs. I mean, yeah. we haven't even seen a guy that is capable of 1,000 yards toward the end of the game where he fumbled as a kid named Matt Breida. The other two, Tevin Coleman and Mostert, I mean, then a quarterback that, hey, don't lose the game, Jimmy, and the make thing that good throws. sticks out to me is when these teams come out and the TV people do the, you know, the self-introductions, the players introduce themselves, how they just come from everywhere. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo, Eastern Illinois, and here's Southern Miss, and here's, you know, yeah. North Dakota State. And, you know, you'd think, oh, it's going to be Alabama, Auburn, Ohio State, Michigan. Blah, blah, blah. No. That's the art of GMing. <laughs> yeah. You pick these guys from they everywhere, fit. and they fit. Okay, uh, Bill O'Brien and the Texans are up twenty-one to nothing. They have a fourth and one. 
in the shadow of the Chiefs, uh, you know, end zone. And they elect to kick it and go up four scores, I guess. Three scores? Yeah, four scores. What, 24 two, nothing. No, that would be three, three scores. Three scores if you get two, three, eight, or three uh, two-pointers. Right. Uh, they did. They kicked the field goal, mm-hmm. and then uh, it came apart. They got outscored 41. Came apart? <laughs> came, <laughs> that, that's, uh, it imploded. Yeah, it, it, it did. Exploded. It exploded. Seven straight possessions? Seven straight touchdowns for the uh, Chiefs. Um, they f- oh, I left out. I buried the lead. They then, while not going for it on fourth and one, up fourth and inches, up 21 nothing, deep, 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 deep in Chiefs yeah. territory. After the Chiefs score, the Texans get it back, and inside their own 40 on fourth and four, they fake a punt. Yeah. Get stopped. The Chiefs, now smelling blood, go in for a touchdown, and then it was just well, I think, semi-downhill yeah. with no breaks. I think the the easy argument is that was the point that turned the game around. I don't I don't think it would have mattered. Uh, you don't think I, it would have mattered if they had gone up twenty eight nothing? No, I don't. I Ooh. think I, no, I don't mind. Ki- I don't mind kicking the twenty four to make it twenty four yeah. points. I I really don't. I think that's the smart move. That's the smart play. The fake punt. I think was idiotic. You don't do that? I, I mean, guess if they, the guys on TV were saying if they had gotten up there and boom, snapped it, but they checked or they looked around and they gave yeah. Kansas City time. They could, first of all, the Kansas City kid, Sorensen, made a tremendous open field tackle. Yeah. The uh, the uh, Texans guy, I got to make a better angle toward the sideline there because it looked like he maybe could have gotten around him. But again, the no, call's not a good call. call. It's a bad, you don't need that. That's my point. You're up 24 or whatever the score was. You don't need a fake punt. You run fake punts to get something going. Yeah. If you want to run it in your own territory, it's to change it around. You're at a point of desperation that, hey, we need to turn this around. Sean Payton tried to run a fake punt that would have turned, maybe turned it around for the New Orleans States against the Vikings, but the guy jumped off sides. Yeah, Ryan Day faked a punt in a big they championship had, yeah, game. They would have so had good f- time to do it. And I just don't think it was the right time. I'm not opposed to running surprise fake punts. I'm not even opposed to running surprise fake punts uh, in your own territory. What I am opposed to, when you when you have this giant lead, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs offense doesn't need help. They're right. fine on their own. And the other thing that was mystifying to me is you might want to find 87 and when Three you're, times on the goal line, you might want to lose him. How's that possible? Uh, it shouldn't be possible. And they even got a holding call on him to keep a drive alive, where they would have been off the field, or they would have had forced Kansas City to go forward or take a take a field goal. But regardless, I mean that game wasn't even that. It wasn't none of that mattered because they were just a machine. And you can see uh, what Patrick Mahomes is to this this team and, and to this league. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is off the charts right now. He now, is, but when you're up 21 nothing on him on the road, and then 24 nothing, No, they're, they're, Kansas gotta, City's at home. Gotta, uh, yeah, oh, but, I mean, you're on the road. You're yeah, the Texans. You you're on what? the road. You got him under the ropes, and they're yeah. grumbling and wondering what the heck is going on. You just can't let that happen. No, it's a complete collapse. And that you know that's the kind of game that will get coaches fired. I mean, they had a great year; they go to the playoffs, but then you get you give up fifty one. Yeah, 
51 more could have been the chiefs like but they're yeah i mean so we'll see but it's interesting to look at okay houston is not a physical football team right they're they score 31 deshaun watson run around make plays that's her offense yep Yep. and new copkins and will fuller and and the likes the matchup is going to be different because the tennessee titans can shorten the game and it was interesting watching the forty the, the the two differences between the Packers and the Seahawks game than watching the Titans and the Vikings game. The Titans dominated ground. Lamar Jackson had five hundred yards mm-hmm. of offense and twelve points. Mm-hmm. Then Tennessee just physically hammered Baltimore's defense. I mean, so they did. took their heart. Now Baltimore prides itself, always has prided itself. When you're not running the ball. And I'm going back to the point, the situation where I've been in games like that on the bad side of the defensive side where there's nothing. And every ounce of strength, pride, power that you have, when a team can do that and what Derrick Henry was doing in that offensive line, there's nothing you can do to stop it. The only thing you can stop it is say, uh, the heck with it as a defensive coordinator. I'm bringing 11 guys. I'm playing one-on-one in the corners, and, you know, they're not going to run the ball. It didn't matter. Ryan Tannehill threw the ball 15 times in a playoff game. And it's just – it's and give credit to – I think it's – oh, I forget the GM's name down there. I can see his face right now. But in Vrabes, they had that team ready to go, and they're believing in each other, and they're playing great. And, of course, we talked about the four. And in the Packers game, it's Aaron Rodgers, man, and Aaron Jones and Aaron Rodgers. I, I mean, the not being able to get off the field on third down, I think the Packers, uh, they had the graphic up last night. The Packers were 9 of 12 or 10 of 13 on third downs and on that last drive to be able to convert the third downs third that long, they did. Third and long, third and long, Because I know this. Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable what he's third able 12, to do. Third and 12, third and nine. Yeah, and you know, because you know, I know one thing. Uh, I don't want Russell Wilson having that ball no. with a chance to win the game. Although, Jimmy, how do they not get the spot right on the Jimmy Graham? I don't know. I don't he's, know. I mean, live, he's short of the line. I think what was disappointing in that, if you watched enough of the replays, and if I were an analyst – on that game, now I have the benefit of, of, but I was saying this. Watch, I was watching it in my kitchen last night, and I was saying this. There's dirt that flies up where the arm hits. I don't know if you noticed that there, because Green Bay is a grass field, right? There was a little bit of mud that came up where the elbow went down, and that's where that spot should have been on that football. And it was short. Now I do think that the Packers probably would have probably gone, for, gone it. for it. Yeah, which. You know, it could, but the spot was way off. And I think it goes to show you the hesitation of the replay booth to turn a call over unless it's clear and obvious. And they were blaming it. I, I got the feeling, I don't know if this were the case or not, they weren't blaming it. I don't know if that's the right word. But the reasons they, that they use, sometimes you don't have the right proper they were angle. Attributing or, it to the yeah, lack of a proper you. angle. Yeah. I mean, live. I'm like, well, he's short, and they well, gave they gave him the bounce. Like I, he hit the ground, and then he bounced, and he landed. And they're like, I mean, I, when a guy ran in, I'm like, what? I agree with you one thousand percent. But also, let it be noted that that yellow line 
is not the line to gain. Yeah, it's it's, not it's an approximation mm -hmm. of the line to gain. Just so everybody's aware of that. I think, and I, I, I don't know if they made that clear on the broadcast. I know that we try to make that clear every mm -hmm. time we get one of those situations in a game. From the sideline view that they had where the yard marker, the, the first down marker was prominently displayed and then way off you see yeah. like Graham going down. They even tried to there, zoom in on that too. Even there it looked like he was short. So, okay, yeah. whatever. I, I do agree the Packers would have gone and probably gotten it. Let's yeah. say. Well, the analytics we are know. such it would have been 90%. I don't know. Get the guy up there with the book in the press box. Yeah. What do you got, Let Coach? Let him know. Let him know. Yeah. Uh, okay, quickly, Buckeyes play Nebraska tomorrow night in basketball. Um this team, man, I've never seen a team lose its mojo in the midst of a year without a glaring reason why. Years ago, you remember, Jay Burson broke his neck, and Jay was the alpha on the team, and all of a sudden they couldn't win a game because they didn't know where to go. Nobody was there. But, I mean, this team hasn't had a debilitating injury. I mean, Dwayne Washington missed a little bit of time with a rib, and Kyle Young appendectomy. Kyle Young injury, I think, threw him for a bigger loop than I certainly would have thought. He's a glue guy. He's a guy who galvanizes him. Indiana tried to give them the game on Saturday. Yeah. They missed 17 of their last 18 shots um, in the first half. They couldn't make free throws. And Ohio State went through long loss. Ohio State scores like no points in the first six minutes of the second half and yet comes back and leads because Indiana's like, no, no, I don't want the game. You take yeah. it. And then Ohio State ends up losing by 12. It's, it's hard to believe that this team was number two in the country at one time and now they're not in the top 25 and they're at the bottom of the Big Ten uh, hanging out and being neighbors with Northwestern. Uh, um, I watched the game, and like you, I mean, I'm I'm a Ohio State basketball fan. I love basketball. Anybody that knows me knows how much I love basketball. I love the the competitiveness of it. I love guys stepping up. They don't have a guy, Bruce. They don't have two guys that you can say, okay, we need a bucket. Or, you know, I don't understand – is Caleb Wesson, are they not allowed to throw it to him inside a lot? or, or is, is, No, that's what, the plan, and they just – he was there a couple times in the first half. I'm like, and he's get gotta, it to him. And he's got to be able to convert yes, uh, a does. little bit more, yep. to be honest with you. Um, but I, I just think there's no confidence right now, right and now there's nobody not. they can go to. that They don't have anybody strong enough offensively that can pull them out of this. And it's got to be a team effort, and they just – or the one thing that I do know about basketball from the time that I played and watching coaches coach over the years, and this is where, now granted, I, I don't pretend to be an expert in basketball. I, I pretend to have a little bit of knowledge that's dangerous. I do know this. I know that if you're struggling offensively, defensively, you can cover up a lot of warts and create your own opportunities. And I just don't see that that energy or that toughness. Like when that kid goes in, and um, I think it was number one for Indiana where he kind of bounced off guys, got an and one play. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're going in there, you're not getting a shot up. Right. You are, are, I'm going to hack your arm, So, and especially if I know that a team is missed as many like free throws. 50%. Not even close. Line. Yeah, it wasn't even, it was less than 50%. It was, I think it was 47, 12 or 27 at the time. I remember the graphic popping up on the TV. I texted you the graphic, um, or I texted you the numbers. I, I don't understand why you don't hammer the guy. Like, I, I'm not saying play dirty, but he's not getting a shot up. Right. Or if you're going to foul him, get a hard foul. They don't have it. 
The question I'm going to ask Chris Holtman today, every coach would prefer that he has a guy who takes charge. You'd love don't to have, have it. Yeah, I would love to have a guy take charge. Yeah, you got so, one? So when you don't have one who's doing it, do you tell someone to do it? Because it looks to me like DJ Carton is their best chance because he can create and he can get his own. But as you saw Saturday, uh, you saw times where you went, whoa, this kid is tremendous. And then seven turnovers kill you. I can't have that. You can't have it. Not so uh, my question is, look, C.J. Walker is a nice player. There's a reason why he transferred from Florida State. He wasn't getting on the floor. And if he had not getting on the floor, there's a reason for that. So he's a guy who's not as wildly talented as D.J. Carton. That's just the facts. So your future is D.J. Carton. And I'm not saying you play for the future, but I'm saying that if there's no discernible difference between the two, I would go with the kid who has the greater upside, and you're going to have to live with the mistakes that he makes because he's going to make them. Uh, E.J. Liddell has vanished. He was great at North Carolina. He's vanished. Dwayne Washington sat for That's like the guy they're missing, 16 man. minutes in each half because he just refuses to play defense, uh, and he commits some mystifying turnovers at times. Luther Muhammad's lost all his confidence. It is a long season. I think they'll get it back. This is one of the rare, rare, rare losing streaks where I look at it and I really don't have any issues with the coaching side of it. I don't. I'm like, I think Holtman's doing all the right things. Uh, He's searching for answers. The strength of the team early in the year was that they had a bunch of guys who were the same guy, and so you never knew on which night some guy was going to blast you for 20 points. Yep. The weakness of the team now is that they're all the same guy and nobody can give you 20 points. That's the weakness of the team right now. Yeah, well, and they, they count on the three. They took 26 threes. Too many threes. It's nine. They're not a tough team. They settle for the easy shot. Nine of 26. So I, I Half th- their shots are threes. I think... Yeah, I think there's maybe that's their offense. I don't. No, know. it's not. Okay, their offense. well they're not running their offense. So to answer your question, run the offense, move the ball. Yeah, they're not tough enough. Get a shot. Get I said the right Saturday, shot. The, the SNOSU stood for soft. I I, I mean, it, it's yeah. fresh. I'm just looking at some of the the numbers here. 16 turnovers on the road. Whew. Right. Killer. They had Killer. a five point lead. Field goal percentage at 32 percent. Free throw percentage, uh, just. Just above uh, 57%, where Indiana was 55, 20 of 36, Indiana was from the line. I mean, they're scoring in their last four games, their losses. They've gone 59, 57, 55, 54. You can't score 60 points in a college basketball game. You're not winning. Yeah. So Uh, hopefully they'll get it going. But I, I think, you know. If the offense isn't to jack 26 threes and stop jacking 26 threes, especially if you can't shoot the three. Agreed. So we'll see how they do tomorrow night against Nebraska. I'll be covering that one for SI.com. You can find all my writing. Are you going to the game? Oh, yes. Nice. You can find all the writing at uh, SI.com backslash. You're you're excited to be back on that uh, basketball beat a little bit? I I enjoy going down there. Sitting with BB? I'd much rather. BB's retired. (laughs) He's smart. Shut her down? He's definitely not coming which good for him. I mean, I would rather watch it at home, but uh, I I like interacting with the coach afterward and the players and seeing all the uh, reporters and stuff it's like that. It's good for you so to less, actually get out of the Hooli Manor. Get out of the basement, yeah. It's less <laughs> of a hassle than a football game, which is like a nine-hour ordeal. Yeah. Um, well, this is quick and easy. Quick and easy. Uh, should get right. a win tomorrow. Should. 
better. If not, they're going to lose six in a row because they're not winning Saturday at Penn State the way they're playing right now. It's frustrating. Yeah. Only beat Penn State. Are you still a, saying they this beat Penn is a State 106 team? to 74? You think Penn State might be anxious to play are right you, now? Are you still saying this is a tournament team? Yes, it's a tournament team. And, sure. and what gives you? Because I believe in the coach, and I believe they'll turn it around. They, they lost five in a row last January, okay. and then three in a row at the end of the regular season. All right, they'll be fine. Okay, I'll, I'll fine. take your word for yeah, it. Let's hope so. They'll be fine. Uh, you have to take my word on the basketball Buckeyes, and I'm taking your word on Kevin Stefanski. Okay? I My word is it, give him the benefit of the doubt, but the results will tell the story. Yes. So <laughs> same, same with the hoop squad. All right. All right. What do we got on the face side today, Mr. So, First, let me remind people, get your entries in. Final day to get your entries in. Final two days because we'll draw Wednesday. The Premier at Sawmill Athletic Club couples membership free for a year. $1,200 value. Thanks to Premier at Sawmill. Best health fitness club in Columbus, indoor pool, outdoor pool, two hours, free childcare, all the classes, all the beta, uh, le- best and latest equipment, uh, premier at Salmo Athletic Club. And all you have to do is go to SpielmanandHooley.com. The entry form is right there. Submit your email, and boom, you're in the contest. We'll draw Wednesday. I have a request because, once again, it's such a long drive out here and a lonely drive. and the scenic I drive. avoid, well, it's dark when I get here. So <laughs> you I, decide to come I invo- at that hour. I, inv- I avoid animals and creatures, and so I, I got to be alert. But I do tend to think on my drive out here. I actually drove radio free out here today. It's a good thing to do. It is a, occasionally a really good thing so to do. So I was do. thinking about the face segment, and for whatever reason, this popped into my brain, and I wanted to share it with, with listeners. And I just want to to give you something to think about, something that's personal to you, listeners. And that is, I want everybody to prayerfully consider sacrificial giving, not just uh, throwing a dollar in the basket or a $5 bill into the basket. I want you to discern what it would mean for you personally to be qualified as a sacrificial, joyful giver. Because it's easy for us to, if we have a little bit of extra money, it's easy for us to say, well, okay, I'm, I'm going to add to the basket just a little bit more this week, right? Mm-hmm. And it's hard for us to um, put our tithing first above all else. So when we run into sacrificial giving, I mean, we might... Uh, we might get a new car, we might get a new house, we might, you know, buy new clothes or in, invest in something. Now, my experience has been this. When, when I have been um, obedient to sacrificial giving, it's always come back and then some, always. And I can't explain why. And like you, I have doubt when I sacrificially give, I do. I mean, sometimes I'm like, ah, can I really do this? Mm-hmm. Or should I really do this? Because I know that I have this expense coming up or I there was an unforeseen expense in my house that all of a sudden it's going to be a, a money that I thought I was going to have. I'm not going to have now because of this necessary expense that I need to pay for on my house 
And yet I got to be obedient, which is, it's not disciplined, it's obedience to sacrificially give. And I just want to encourage those out there that when you struggle with sacrificially giving, where it costs you something, where you might struggle a little bit, You've got to have the trust that it's going to come back to you and then some. So I'm encouraging everybody, and you make this decision, and you prayerfully consider, then you discern and think and pray about this. Am I going to be a sacrificial giver? That's the challenge for you. And I get that it's hard. Trust me. Uh, I don't, I've been that that Pharisee that sits in the front row that look look at look at the cool robes I have on and look how much I'm giving. Meanwhile, I'm holding back. Uh, I challenge myself to be the widow that gives her last coins to the collection for the good of the church. So um, I just thought about that, Bruce, and and I want people to prayerfully consider what it means for them to sacrificially give. Yeah, I think that's uh, great advice, and I think the the one of the key words that you mentioned in there was joyfully, um, and which the, is hard. <laughs> which is hard because, but but the joyfulness is, I think, when I when I've experienced that that call, like okay, I need to give to this, I need to do this. It's not comfortable for me to do this, Lord. The joyfulness is in the following through in the obedience. It's not in the payoff. It's no. it's really not. It's in the okay, I know why I did this. It doesn't logically make sense, but I know why I did this. I know that I was called and I'm the joyfulness is I was obedient to that call. Um I think I've told the story before back when um uh years 20 some years ago when I got divorced, I had bought in a house uh bought a house with uh, my then wife. We based the house on two incomes. Um she had an affair. She left. Uh, so now I'm wondering how I'm going to make the house payment. Um, and I'd been listening to a lot of Christian radio, and they were having their fundraising thing. And they were like, if you're blessed by this, could you give $10 a week? $520. I was like, man, you know. I felt a burden to give it. I really did because I was being blessed. And I was like, I, I just, Lord, I can't, I can't afford it. And but it's the burden of, no, you're being blessed, and so I did it. And now again, I want to make sure you know this will not always happen for you. This is just an instance, okay? In the next week, I got a call for a freelance writing assignment to write five stories. Four of the stories paid a thousand dollars a week, a thousand dollars a story. The fifth story paid twelve hundred. Mm. $5,200, one-tenth of $5,200 is $520. <laughs> okay, so is the joy the fact that I got 5000 bucks? Well, yeah, sure. But the joy is I have reflected on that story innumerable times since then in times of, Lord, are you really with me in this? Yeah. Are, you, are you really going to come through for me? I have shared that story. I hope it's been a blessing to other people when I've shared that story. So the joy, it may not be tangible if you give, but I'm telling you it will be something, whether it's just a personal relational thing between you and God, something you can share with other people, something that will strengthen you, something that will show you, something that will enlighten you, encourage you, inspire you. 
It will happen. I firmly believe that because I do not believe you can outgive God. So my wife and I made a conscious decision, and it was hard to uh, sacrificially give uh, from a faith aspect recently. And even though it was hard, it really wasn't a choice. I felt that we have to do this. Mm -hmm. We have to do this. And it might hurt a little bit, but never do did I have any sense of doubt not to do it or a sense of doubt to do it. And so I just want I want people to prayerfully consider because you will be given guidance. I was given guidance. I was given, even though it seems like a lot, I didn't have that lingering doubt after I yeah. made that decision, after we did it, that lingering doubt was removed. Yeah, I can't tell you how, I, I can't tell you what, how you'll be blessed. That, that's true. But I can, I can, I think, <laughs> pretty much guarantee you that if your motivation for giving $520, you won't get 5000 back. If that's your motivation, like, well, I need five grand, so I'm no, going to give 500 No, I mean, obviously, it's, that's not, I just want to make clear that's, because we have people who are all different maturity I, levels I get of that. faith here. It's, it's a joyful giving. It's a, but don't overplay the word joy. Like, I'm going to give it and I'm going to turn cartwheels. No, it might hurt. And it might yeah. be the answer you get back. Might, and you might, like, sit there for a long time and go, man, I don't understand why in a world. But you know the burden to give was real. And the the joy is in the in the obedience. It's in the, it's in the, and then the waiting to see what God does with it. Uh, and what he does for you. Stay tuned. And by the way, if any of these faith segments that we do, if any of you have any feedback or you have stories of faith that um, have been positive, please share them with us. Yeah, please do. I, I mean, you know, I I want to hear if there's anything that is good that's coming from this. If you've been challenged uh, in your journey, your personal journey, if you've been challenged by Bruce or myself, or let us know and let us please let us know that you know we're here to support you. We're not here to judge you. I'm not. I'm not judging anybody. I'm here to support you, and encourage you. And I'm not going to say you need to be at this certain level. You might not understand all this. We're sharing our experience with you and the joy that we have, and hopes that you too will someday share in that joy. Back Wednesday with uh, hopefully a Buckeye basketball victory to talk about. Everybody have a great Monday. Thanks for your time. Subscribe on iTunes, your favorite podcast platform. Review us on iTunes. Enter the Premier at Sawmill Couples membership for a year. Spielman and Hooley.com. <laughs>